every member a minister. All right, every member a minister. Okay, the pastor isn't the only minister. Okay, we have a congregation filled with ministers. Every member a minister. All right, good. I want to share with you this morning a story from Pastor Bill White, Paramount, California. Pastor Bill was in the bumper-to-bumper traffic that you often find in the cities of California, getting nowhere fast. He looks up ahead, and what does he see? He sees two men on the sidewalk engaged in a conversation. Now, one of the gentlemen was seated on a cardboard box at the end of the freeway off-ramp. He had very gray hair. He had a very tired look on his face. And he was seated on the cardboard box. And he was holding a piece of cardboard. And on on it was scrawled this message. Please help. Please help. Now the younger man who was standing and engaging in conversation with this older gentleman was a Latino. A very young Latino. And he engaged the man in conversation for a few moments and then he walked up the sidewalk. Now, Pastor Bill was getting a few feet, a few feet every minute. And as he was driving by the man that was seated on the cardboard box, he looked at the young Latino and he recognized him. And he said to himself, this is one. One was an immigrant who was attending Pastor Bill's church. And so Pastor Bill was very excited. He drives up to Juan, rolls down his window, and says, Juan, do you need a ride? And Juan says, no, no, Pastor, I don't need a ride. And Pastor Bill was curious why he was walking on the sidewalk by the freeway. So he asked him, what are you doing walking on the sidewalk by the freeway? Well, Pastor, I was praying with that gentleman who was seated down the street on the cardboard box, and I brought him something to eat as well. Pastor Bill was very, very impressed that he found one of his members out ministering to homeless people out on the street. Well, he discovered some more things about one. This was not the first time that one had ministered to this homeless gentleman. He did this on a regular, consistent basis. He would pray with him, and he would give him food to eat. He also learned something else that was very fantastic in his estimate. A choir member had personally witnessed one literally taking the shirt off his back, a brand new shirt his wife had bought him for Christmas, and placing it on this Homeless man. Very impressive. One was being a true neighbor to this homeless gentleman who was living on this cardboard box in Paramount, California on one of the freeway off-ramps. Think about that for a few moments. I have a question for you. 
What does it look like to be a neighbor in the end times? Do you believe that we are in the end times? Amen. We are in the end times. We have been in the end times for a long time now. We are in the hour of God's judgment. Alright? So what does it look like to be a neighbor in the end times? More specifically, because this is where the rubber meets the road, what does it look like to be a Seventh-day Adventist neighbor in the end times? Because I believe that most of us here are Seventh-day Adventists. That's the question. What does it look like to be a Seventh-day Adventist neighbor? Let's find out from Scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We'll start us off. Just then, just then a religion scholar, a lawyer, stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, what do I need to get eternal life? Now let me give you the setting here. This man is a lawyer. But he's not a lawyer in the way that we think of a lawyer. He is more like a Bible expert, a religious scholar. Now the Pharisees were always cooking up ways to entrap Jesus, to ensnare Jesus, because they didn't like Jesus very much. So they recruited one of their own. Because this lawyer, no doubt, is a Pharisee. He is an expert in the Scriptures. He would put us to shame. He knew the Scriptures inside and outside. He probably had most of the Old Testament Scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, memorized. He could recite the Bible. So he's been recruited to trap Jesus, to ensnare Jesus. And he asks this question, Teacher, what do I need to get eternal life? Jesus can smell it a mile away. He knows what's going on. And he's not going to fall for it. And as he often does, Jesus decides to let this lawyer answer his own question. And he asks a question of this Bible expert. He answered, what's written in the Scriptures? What's written in God's law? What's written in the Torah? How do you interpret it? Very wise, isn't he? Very wise. And this is what the expert said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. What do you think about that answer? That pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? Love God completely and love your neighbor. That pretty well sums it up. And Jesus commends this lawyer, this Pharisee, this Bible expert. He says, good answer, said Jesus. Good answer. Now do it and you'll live. 
Now this Pharisee was probably feeling very good at this time. He was thinking, yeah, it is a good answer. I love my God and I love my neighbor as well. That is, I love my fellow Israelites. Because you see, the Jews at this time would only consider another Israelite as a neighbor. Everyone else was out. If you were not an Israelite, if you did not worship Yahweh, the great I Am, you were not a neighbor. So he's thinking, yes, I do love God and I do love my neighbor, that is, my fellow Israelite. Now there is no doubt, my brothers and sisters, that this expert in the scriptures was very familiar with the ministry of Jesus. And he knows that Jesus is a neighbor to everyone. He has healed a woman from Phoenicia. He has cast demons from Gentiles. He has healed Gentiles. And this Pharisee knows it. And remember, he's trying to trap Jesus. So, he asks Jesus this question, knowing full well the type of person this teacher is. And just how would you define neighbor? The Pharisee puts Jesus on the spot. How would you define neighbor, Rabbi? And then Jesus launches into one of his most famous stories. And he doesn't really answer this question. He turns the, answer, he turns the question on its head, as we will see in a few moments. And this Pharisee thinks that he's going to trap Jesus, but actually, Jesus is setting him up. Okay? Here we go. Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. So we have a story about a man. He's probably a Jewish man. And he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which means that he is traveling down from about over 2,500 feet in elevation to 800 and some odd feet below sea level. Six-tenths of a mile down in elevation. And part of the countryside that this man has to journey through looks like this. It is very desolate. Nothing grows there. It is the ultimate badlands. The ultimate badlands. Lots of places for the likes of Jesse James and Bonnie and Clyde to hide. And that's exactly what happened on this road very, very frequently. As a matter of fact, there was one stretch of the road that was called the Valley of, the, the valley of Blood. The Valley of Blood. 
because so many people were mugged and robbed and murdered on this part of the road. The road was so dangerous that there were even Roman sentries who were stationed along this road at strategic spots. That's how dangerous this road was. So this man was mugged. He was robbed. He was left totally naked on the ground because they took his clothes and he's left there to die all by himself in this desolate wasteland. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Now by chance, Jesus says, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, what did he do? Pass by on the other side. And by the way, this priest probably had an entourage with him. He would not have been traveling alone. He was returning from his service in the temple. What does he do? Nothing. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, at least he looked, and then he passed by on the other side. Amazing. Amazing. Both of these men, the priest and the, and the Levite, what was their mission? What was their mission? To reveal what God is like, what the God of Israel is like, what Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is like. That was their mission. That's what they were supposed to be doing. But what do they do? Do they do that? No. 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 They do absolutely nothing. They're thinking, let somebody else call 911. Let somebody else do it. Now, the man's naked, remember? And they, they see that he's, he's circumcised. He is an Israelite. They're not even being good neighbors to their fellow Israelites. Okay? Not even. Cruel. Yes. No compassion. No mercy. No mercy. They do absolutely nothing. Instead of reflecting the character of Yahweh, they are reflecting the character of Satan, the devil. Cold, heartless, cruel. Yes. They are no better than the thugs. They are no better than the thugs who did this to this gentleman. Why? Because through their neglect, they are just adding to the pain and suffering of this poor man who's laying there bleeding to death and baking in the sun. Now the bombshell. Oh yes, Jesus. He liked to stir the pot. Liked to stir the pot. Now the bombshell. Jesus continues on with this story. A Samaritan. We'll talk in a few moments about the Samaritans. A Samaritan. Traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, 
his heart went out to him. His heart went out to him. Let me just stop right here. The hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans was legendary. It was legendary. There was no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews regarded Samaritans as half-breeds, as mongrels, as dogs. They did not like them. Neither did the Samaritans like the Jews. And in the synagogue, now I'm not getting down on the Jews, okay? This, this is just historical fact. The Jews would actually curse the Samaritans in the synagogue. And they would pray that the Samaritans would miss out on eternal life. The only thing that I can compare it to is the hatred and the animosity between Palestinians and Israelis today. That's the only thing I can compare it to. I mean, it was that bad. It was that bad. But notice, notice what the Samaritan does. He doesn't stop to consider whether or not this man is Jewish or whatever, okay? Remember, he's totally naked, so he can't be identified whether he's a Samaritan or a Jew by his clothing. He's totally naked. He doesn't know, but he doesn't stop to consider that. What does he do? He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifts this man onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and makes him feel comfortable. And in the morning, he takes out two silver denarii. Two days wages and gives them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. These two coins would give this man 24 days and nights lodging in those days. So this Samaritan is extravagant with his compassion. Absolutely extravagant. He's not penny-pinching. He's not being stingy. He is pouring out everything he has for this man. And he knows, he knows that if this man is Jewish and the roles were reversed, well, he would spit in my face and continue walking. He would not do this for me. Now again, Getting back to the animosity of the Jews towards the Samaritans. Let me read to you from the Mishnah, one of the holy writings of Judaism. This is what it says in the Mishnah about Samaritans. He that eats the bread of the Samaritans is like to one that eats the flesh of swine. Okay, can you hear the animosity? Can you hear the animosity? Yes. Yes. What do you think that Pharisee is thinking now? First of all, he's probably feeling insulted that Jesus would even mention a Samaritan. And Jesus is really making the Samaritans look good. Real good. Real good. Now remember, Jesus, not Jesus, the Pharisee asked what question? What question did he ask of Jesus? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus 
doesn't really answer his question. Well, he answers it, but in a roundabout way. You see, Jesus turns the question on his head. And this is the question that he is directing indirectly to this Pharisee. This is the question. Jesus is implying, are you a neighbor to your fellow human beings? Are you, are you a neighbor to your fellow human beings? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, so, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he answered, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go. Go and do likewise. Do you hear, do you hear the rebuke? Jesus is very kind. Okay, he's not trying to embarrass this man in public. But do you hear the rebuke? He's saying, look. You are not really a neighbor because your neighborliness is very exclusive. You only consider other Israelites to be your neighbor. That means you are not really a neighbor because a true neighbor is inclusive when it comes to his neighborliness. A true neighbor considers every single human being his or her neighbor. So I ask you the question, my brothers and sisters, what does it look like to be a Seventh-day Adventist neighbor in the end times? What does it look like? What does it look like? Because you see, if I am a true neighbor... A true neighbor, a true seven-day Adventist neighbor who is living in the end times, then I'm going to be very inclusive about who is my neighbor. In fact, through my eyes, I will consider everyone to be my neighbor. Regardless of religious affiliation or lack of religious affiliation, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of level of education, regardless of their economic capacities or economic class, I will consider every single human being my neighbor and I will do exactly what the Samaritan did with a Jew. I will meet their needs. I will minister to them. Even if I don't like their sexual orientation, even if I don't like their religion, even if I don't like the way they look, even if I don't like all of the things that they have all over their body, I will consider that person my neighbor. And I will pour out. I will pour out my life, my time, my strength, my money, my talents, everything to meet their needs. That's what a Seventh-day Adventist neighbor looks like who is living in the end times. Okay? You know, Jesus was the ultimate neighbor. Was He exclusive with His neighborliness? Absolutely not. That's why He was hated. Because of His mingling with, with non-Jews, with Gentiles. 
and with prostitutes and drunkards, the backslidden, because he considered all those people his neighbors and they had needs. And whoever has a need, my brother and my sister, is my neighbor. And there's not one human being on this blue marble of a planet who does not have a need. So true neighborliness is very, very inclusive. The fact is, how we respond to others is determined by who we love the most. And if we love Jesus the most, we will be a neighbor to all. It's that simple. It's that simple. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. I want to share with you a marvelous story. It's sad, but it is a marvelous story. Not long ago, in Jerusalem's famed Hadassah Hospital, an Israeli soldier lay dying. He had contracted AIDS because of his promiscuous lifestyle. And he was in the final throes of this terrible disease. His dad was a very famous Jerusalem rabbi. And his dad and the rest of the family disowned him. They wanted nothing to do with their son, with their brother. As far as they were concerned, he was dead. The nursing staff on the floor treated him the very same way. Everyone avoided this Israeli soldier as if he was infected with a plague. Even the doctors would have nothing to do with him. Everybody was just waiting for him to expire, to die. Now, this soldier was a member of the famous Nahal Brigade. The Nahal Brigade is identified by their light green berets in the Israeli Defense Forces. And part of their duties is to patrol the occupied West Bank, where you have many, many Palestinians. They are famous for their ferocity and they are famous for their war-fighting skills. And needless to say, the Palestinians absolutely hate their guts. That's putting it mildly. And for good reason, because there have been times when the Nahal Brigade has exhibited quite exceptional cruelty in their military operations. So here's what happens. One night, this soldier goes into cardiac arrest. Alarms are going off at the nurse's station. And guess what? The nurses do nothing. They just continue going about their duties and their business. The doctors hear the alarm. What do the doctors do? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're not going to have anything to do with this man. They're going to let him die in his disgrace and his shame. But here's the beautiful part. On that floor, there was a Palestinian janitor. A Palestinian janitor, a Christian. A Christian. And he's sweeping. 
He has his broom and he hears the alarms going off and he sees that the nursing staff is doing nothing. The doctors are doing nothing. And he can't stand it. He can't stand it. He puts down his broom and he goes into the room and he tries to save the life of that Israeli soldier by giving him cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Now here's the thing about it. This soldier had been involved in a military operation against the village where this Palestinian lived. But yet, what does this Palestinian do? What does he do? He tries to save the life of his enemy. Even though he had been a victim to this soldier's cruelty and violence, he tries to save the life of his enemy while all the others who should have been doing it are doing absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Quite a story. Quite a story. So I ask you the question, what does a Seventh-day Adventist neighbor who is living in the end time look like? We look like that Palestinian janitor trying to save the life of one of his enemies. Just as Jesus taught, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You see, that's the law of God's kingdom. Not to hate your enemies, but to love your enemies. To love them so much that you're even willing to give your life for them if that's what God asks you to do. That's what a Seventh-day Adventist neighbor who is living in the end time looks like. Anything less than that is a misrepresentation of the character of Jesus Christ, the character of the God we profess to serve. So what are some ways... What are some practical ways that we can be neighbors? Seven-day Adventist neighbors as we are awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what we talked about a few weeks ago? About the homeless? What are some things that we talked about we can do for the homeless? That's right. Yes. You know, we're entering the winter season now. Okay, what about giving people coats, gloves, socks? Remember, I told you the st statistics in this area, there are at least 19 homeless camps. There are people all over the streets. How can we be a neighbor to these people? How can we be a neighbor to these people? I want to share with you the song once again. And I'm going to skip this and we will go back to it. Here's our theme song. 
for this series. Remember, Christ has no human body now upon the earth but yours. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours, my brothers and sisters, are the eyes through which Christ's compassion has to look upon the world. And yours are the lips with which His love has to speak. Yours are the hands with which He is to bless men now. And yours the feet with which He is to go about doing good through His church, which is His body. How can we be Jesus to this community? Because right now we are the only Jesus people are going to see, right? How can we be, how can I be an Adventist neighbor? Let me give you a few statistics here about people who have no shoes. Again, trying to make this practical. Do you realize that there are 2 billion kids that are afflicted with parasitic diseases that are preventable with shoes? Two billion children in the world who are inflicted with parasitic diseases because they have no shoes? One million kids every single year die, die from preventable diseases caused by lack of shoes just because they don't have shoes. One million human beings dead every single year. I look in my closet, I've got shoes that I never even wear. Millions of kids are not allowed in school without shoes, thus perpetuating a continued cycle of poverty. So how can we be a good neighbor to these kids who don't have shoes? How can we be a good neighbor to the homeless people who often don't have warm, adequate Shoes to place on their feet. How can we do it? Isn't it simple? Just give them a pair of shoes. <laughs> isn't, that earth, isn't that rocket science? Just give them a pair of shoes. And if you're not able to give a pair of shoes, well, donate some money to ADRA. They'll make sure that some of these kids who don't have shoes will have shoes. So think about it. Think about some practical, easy ways that you, that we can be neighbors to people in this community and to people in the world. How can we pour out our money, our time, our talents, our gifts, our love and be neighborly to all human beings. You know, soon, soon, Jesus will return. And if you will recall, last time we were together, we looked at a tale called the tale of the sheep and the tale of the goats. Remember, Jesus comes back and he divides the human race into two different camps, the sheep on his right, the side of favor, and the goats on the left. And do you remember what Jesus says to the sheep? Well remember what he says? Well done, my good and faithful yes, well done, my good and faithful servants. Now why did he tell them, well done, my good and faithful servants? They were puzzled. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? They were neighbors, they, they were neighbors yes. They cared for others. They cared for others. 
They cared for others. They fed the hungry. They gave the thirsty something to drink. They invited the stranger into their home. They visited the hospitals. They visited the jails, the prisons. And do you recall what Jesus says? Do you recall what he said? When you did it for them, you did it. Yes, when you did it for them, you were doing it to me. I hope, I hope that when Jesus comes, that Jesus will say to me, that he will say to us, well done, well done, my good and faithful servants. You have been a neighbor. You will be a neighbor and you will be very, very happy and comfortable in my kingdom where everyone else is focused on the needs of others. And you have this endless, endless circle of self-giving love. Because that's what heaven is all about. That's what the new heavens and the new earth are all about. Everybody's focused on the eternal joy, happiness, and well-being of others. And we can begin to practice that right now. Would you like to pray with me, Jesus, please fill my heart with your kind of love. Give me your eyes. Anoint my eyes with love. Anoint my heart with love. Help me to see every single human being as my neighbor, especially my enemies. Would you like to be that type of human being? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you were very inclusive when you came to this earth. <clears throat> you showered your love upon everyone unconditionally. And we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to follow you into the hovels, into the hospitals. We want to follow you down the alleyways. We want to follow you into the jails and the prisons. We want to follow you and minister wherever there is a need. Lord Jesus, it's impossible for us to do this on our own. I ask you to reproduce your character of self-sacrificial love in each one of us. Help us to be Seventh-day Adventist neighbors as we await your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.